Everyone, good to be with you folks. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up to Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at the first 18 verses of this passage of Scripture and officially turn to your neighbor as you do that and tell them Merry Christmas. It's my favorite time of the year. And we always talk about Christmas here at Pearlside Church or Jesus and Christ at Pearlside Church, but we really want to zero in and celebrate him this December holiday season. So Luke chapter 2. Uh, we're going to look at this to set the framework for this series that we're in. And so if you are going to follow with me, you can follow on screen as well. It starts off by saying this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. This is important details. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of uh, the to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to marry uh, to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths. Other versions say swaddling cloths. And placed him in a manger because there were no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Many of us would be terrified too if we saw an angel in flesh and bones right in front of us. Uh, But the angel said, uh, said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for All the people. Verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Then suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those whom his favor rests. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Exactly what was told to them, they saw it in front of them in flesh and bone. Verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child and all who heard. It were amazed and at what the uh, were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So a lot of things that we just read about, I'm going to pull out some truths to preach to us tonight. But I want to talk to us from the premise: expect the unexpected. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that. Expect the unexpected. How many of us expect God to speak to us tonight? Say yeah. If you want God to speak to your heart, say oh yeah. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Your word is true. God, we thank you for this season that we're celebrating. God, we thank you that it's more than just lights and trees and presents. It's really about you and your presence in our lives. And so, Lord, let us not forget that that's the real reason why you came, to be among us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us a tangible way that would resonate in our hearts and change us forever. So, Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that is soft, open, and receptive for everything that you want to deposit into us today. Thank you for your word. In your beautiful name we pray. Amen and amen. Expect the unexpected. 
Uh, been married for a couple years. Uh, been pastoring for a really long time. And uh, one message or theme of message that really resonates with people is the message theme about relationships. Anytime you talk about relationships, we have an entire church filled because many of us and the issues that we face in our lives, the root of it can be traced back to some sort of relational issue that we could be facing in our lives. How many of us, we've just been honest in church, would say that the reason why you're here tonight is probably, probably because of a relational issue. And if you're sitting next to the person, don't go in elbowing them, okay? Let's just be, uh, let's have church to be a safe place for us to talk about some real truth. But, you know, uh, you know, talking with people and counseling them about relational issues, the number one uh, reason for conflict in any relationship, how many of us know, is unmet expectations. <clears throat> unmet expectations will be the root of any conflict in a relationship. When your expectations aren't being met, you will be frustrated, which will often lead to some sort of conflict in the relationship. And the greater the expectations that's not being met, the greater the conflict in the relationship. And so whatever relationship you find yourself in, if there's an unmet expectation there, that'll probably be a source of frustration within that relationship. In fact, the definition for frustration is unmet expectations. So when I got married to my wife, uh, she exceeded any of my expectations. She far surpassed my expectations. So in my relationship with her, I have nothing really to complain about because she's literally perfect in every way, shape, or form. Uh, and I'm not lying. So God has definitely blessed me. Uh, but on her end, there's a lot of expectations that I personally didn't live up to. Okay, I'm just going to be real in church. The first expectation that she had is that this pastor dude would probably have his act together. And boy, was she in for a rude awakening when she got into a relationship with me because I am far from perfect. I often preach a better message than I live. And so that's one of the things that you know, got to work out in growing in your relationship with God. But the second expectation that she had within our relationship is that she had an expectation that on Saturday mornings when we're both not at work that we would, you know, sleep in and, you know, Wake up whenever you wake up uh, and kind of just, you know, start the morning by just cuddling with one another and so forth. And uh, boy, was she in for a rude awakening because I am a morning person. Sleeping in for me is like 6 a.m. And the reality is this, the older I got, the earlier I wake up. Like seriously, the jokes about people having uh, <laughs> breakfast at 4.30 in the morning, I'm realizing that that's kind of my world that I'm living in right now because I'm getting old. Uh, but... But I, I would sleep into 6 a.m. and I will get up, walk the dog, wash the car, clean the living room and the kitchen, throw in a load of wash while I, all of this happening before my wife even wakes up. So she'll wake up and she's like, where were you? I was like, oh, I'm out there doing stuff. And then she'll be wondering, why are you so tired? Because I spent my entire morning being productive. Me sleeping in is not productive. But for her, connecting and being close with one another, that's really her love language. And so that was kind of a root of some of the conflict within our marriage where I wasn't meeting her expectation and I couldn't because I can't sleep in. Like I feel like that's wasting an entire day. So the unmet expectation caused a little conflict within our relationship. And I thought about that and I thought about our relationship with God. And whether you know this or not, all of us in this room have expectations on God to do things our way and in our time. We might not vocalize this because it will seem to be very prideful or cocky to say that God should be doing things my way because I know better. But internally in our minds and in our hearts, 
many of us get frustrated with God when he doesn't do things according to the way in which we think he should do it. In fact, many of you right now are in a situation where you're mad at God because God is not doing what you think he should be doing in your life. So all of us have expectations on God, and the reality of this for many of us is that God will constantly mess up our expectations of him. Because God has bigger plans and purposes. He knows what we really need in our lives. And if we think the world revolves around us, you're going to get frustrated in your relationship with God. Not just a relationship with God, but in any relationship. If you think everything should revolve around you, that will cause a lot of conflict in any of your relationships, specifically with our relationship with God. For us as believers, we have to have this vantage point that the focus of our lives is not about us, but it's about God. God is at the center of everything, and our lives revolve around him. And when we come to the point of understanding that that's the base of our focus on how we should approach life, life will go a lot better when we see life through that vantage point, that God is at the center and our lives revolve around him. But if you think that your life is at the center, get ready because life is going to be very difficult. God will allow certain things to happen to change your perspective on life. And in the passage that we just read, we are going to unpack four truths about expectations that God wants to change in our lives so that we can have a better view of who he is and what he wants to do in our lives. He wants to expand our perspective to put him at the center and realize that when God allows things to happen, he's doing it from a perspective and a motivation of love in our lives. And so the first thing that we're going to look at when it comes to expectations is this, the unexpected journey. The unexpected journey. Verses 4 and 5 mention a journey that Joseph and Mary had to take in order to participate in a census. So they needed to move from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem, which is about 90 miles. And there's a map that I want to show you on screen that kind of gives you a visual of how far they have to travel. Because how many of us know that 90 miles is a long long road. And so this is what that journey would be like for them. And we're talking about a time in which they don't have modern day amenities. They didn't have a, 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 a forerunner lifted, you know, like the West Side guys. They didn't have that to go navigating through the terrains of uh, Nazareth to Bethlehem. But they just had a little five horse, horsepower camel and whatever, that was their mode of transportation. So this is a far journey. So for us, we don't think that that's a long way, but I want to give you an Oahu equivalent of what this journey would look like. This journey would look like from Pearlside Church, we take the road all the way up to Turtle Bay Resort, then we come around the other side of the island down to Kualoa Ranch, then we head all the way down to Waimanalo Beach, and from Waimanalo Beach, we make the way all the way back up, and make our end here at Pearlside Church. How many of us know if you had to walk that, it's a far journey, right? And so scholars would say that this journey at the fastest point would take about nine days. Now, we've got to look at the scenario where Mary is pregnant at this time. And if you ever did a road trip with someone who's pregnant, how many of us know that that is a difficult journey? Every bump on the road you are feeling it. Is this contractions or is this just the baby not liking this mode of transportation that we're in? 
And so Joseph and Mary had to travel 90 miles to get from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. And so for us, we're like, why is that even significant? We didn't know that God had plans for this journey because 700 years before this moment even took place, a prophet prophesied some important truths about the coming Messiah. And Micah, the prophet, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratath, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past, which means Jesus was alive before even the creation of everything came to be. A ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. And so there is a prophecy about a savior coming out of Bethlehem, but Mary and Joseph are in oh, uh, Nazareth. So God needed to get them out of Nazareth down to Bethlehem. And how did he get them to move? He caused a census to take place. So he allowed the rulers to operate holding a census. And the whole census purpose was for taxing so that they'll know exactly how much they should, they should tax people to get money for the government. And part of this census means that you would have to go back to your land of origin. And so for Joseph, he needed to get back to Bethlehem to be counted in this census. So the truth for us in this is, is this, that God often will allow things to happen in our lives to get us to move into the place where he needs us to be. So God will always allow some unfortunate situations to happen to get us to move out of comfort and into the calling that he has for you and I. Sounds great in a preaching point, but if you ever have been moved by God unwillingly into a place where you never wanted to go, we could see that as this is an inconvenience to my life. So why would God allow this to happen? Or what are some things that God will allow to get us to move? I'm glad you asked. Maybe God will allow a loss of a job or an unexpected financial burden to get you moved from one career to the next. That you wouldn't have done on your own unless God closed a specific door in your life to get you to move out of that door or out of that place into a new season. Maybe God will allow a relational conflict or an unexpected breakup, especially during the holiday season. Or what about an unexpected passing of a loved one or an unexpected sickness and illness to get us to move out of a certain situation to be positioned for our purpose? Now, God isn't the cause of bad things, but God is a, a good God that he can use bad situations to develop good in our purpose. So although the situation that you might be in right now is seemingly bad, God still can bring some good out of it. And maybe the opportunity or the frustration that you are having with God about having to be moved from one place to the next is divine by God to get you into the place where he needed you to be all along. Maybe God allowed that to happen because he is moving you into your purpose. I looked into the definition of what Bethlehem means, and Bethlehem means house of bread, which means God is pro-carbs. Come on, somebody. He is known as the bread of life, not the cauliflower of life, okay? So God is pro-carbs. But the significance of that is this, that maybe God is putting you in an unexpected place or on an unexpected journey. This idea of Bethlehem being in a house of bread, the significance of that is this, 
then in your unexpected journey or in your unexpected place, there's divine nourishment there. That God has some sustenance for you to depend on, to get strength from in this uncomfortable season that you may find yourself in. The strength that we get from our soul and our spirit is not just eating good food. It's feeding our spirit on the presence and the word of God. So if you find yourself in a difficult season right now, I want to encourage you to feed your spirit on God's presence and on God's truth because that's what's going to sustain you during this difficult journey that you may find yourself in. So the truth for us, the takeaway for us when we find ourselves in an unexpected journey is this. Be flexible when life doesn't go your way. God might have a divine plan that's actively at work in our lives. So our posture in every season is to be flexible when the unexpected shows up. The second unexpected thing that we see from this passage is this, unexpected timing. We all heard it this way, that God's timing is perfect, but his timing is often different from our timing. He's rarely early. We would consider it late, but in his perspective, it's always on time. And verse 6 and 7 says this, while they were there in Bethlehem, a place that they never wanted to be at the first place, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Other translations would say, and placed him in a manger because there were no guest room available for them. So the time of the birth of Jesus came in a foreign place without family or support specifically to help deliver this baby. How many of us know that giving birth to the Savior of the world in Bethlehem, in a barn in Bethlehem, wasn't a part of Mary and Joseph's birthing plan? They didn't think like, oh, this is going to be such a great barn for Jesus to be born. Like, you smell that? That smells awesome. This barn is a great environment for us to give birth to a child, let alone the Savior of mankind. And I'm sure a crowded Bethlehem wasn't their preferred choice to give birth to a son. And we look at that and we're thinking, like, you know, we just read this story and we just bypass a lot of these details, but this wasn't a part of their plan. They had other plans in place. But God's timing intervened into this moment. Me and my wife, when we were uh, having, uh, planning to give birth to our son, we had this plan to go all natural. And we're just going to do the natural route. And all of that got thrown out the window once the contractions came in and the pain was unbearable. She was like, give me that epidural. I need that right now. So, you know what I mean? We have plans, but when it comes to our plans, make sure you write it in pencil. Specifically when our relationship with God. Yes, start to plan. But make sure that you're not writing in a Sharpie. We're writing it in pencil, which means that it's subject to change. It's subject to change. And they're looking at the situation that they're in, and there was nothing comfortable about the barn in Bethlehem where they were given to deliver the Savior of the world. There was nothing in there that could bring some sort of comfort or relief. It was really the last resort. The only option that they had was literally their last resort. So there was nothing within that environment that brought them any sorts of comfort or peace during a difficult moment of giving birth to a son. So what does that mean for you and I? God doesn't need us to be comfortable to be at work. In fact, 
God does his best work in our hearts when we are uncomfortable. So if you want to grow in your faith, get used to being uncomfortable. If you want to stay stuck in your faith, enjoy comfort for a long season. God is not anti-comfort, but we'll never grow in our relationship with God if our life is consistently comfortable. So if you want to grow, get used to things being uncomfortable. So God decided that a barn in Bethlehem will be the perfect place for the Savior of the world to be born. And some of us, we find ourselves in a barn of a situation right now. And you're doing what anybody would say when they find themselves in a barn. You're saying to yourself, this stinks. You're looking at your life. You're looking at your situation that you're in. And the phrase that you're telling yourself is this, this stinks. Or this is a crappy, pun intended, situation. And God has something better for us in these moments. And here's the truth I want us to focus on. It's really where we put our focus in difficult season. And here's the truth. What we focus on will become our reality. So if you find yourself in a negative situation, an unfortunate situation, things that are out of control happening right in front of your eyes, my encouragement to you is this. Fix your focus. So if you're looking at yourself and you're feeling like, man, everything in my life is negative right now, I will guarantee you what you're focusing in on is negative things. So negative focus will lead to a negative life that you're living. So if you want to change the environment of how you see what's happening in front of you, you need to change what you put your focus on. It's easy to focus on the negative, but God wants us by faith to start to focus in on the good that he has in our lives. And even in a bad situation, let me tell you this, if we look hard enough, there is some good in every situation that we can give glory and praise to the God that we serve. We can't control what happens to us, but we can control what we focus on. So God is not asking us to try and control our lives. He's asking us to control our focus. What are you focusing in on right now? Because what you focus on will eventually become the reality of the world that you're living in. So for us, we need to focus our eyes on faith and ask God for divine eyes to see the good, his fingerprint, and even a negative situation that we find ourselves in. Because God can help us to see what he's actively doing if we have patience and if we have trust. So when the timing of everything doesn't go according to your plans, here's what we got to do. Fix our focus because God might have something different in mind. And I thought to myself, why would God allow the Savior of the world to be born in a barn in Bethlehem? What was the divine purpose that he had by allowing this to be the scene of the greatest miracle that you and I could ever celebrate, which is the coming of God to be flesh and bones? I thought about that, and I, I came to this conclusion. Maybe God wanted the scenario of his birth to match the environment of our heart where we live our lives without him. Let me say that again. Maybe God wanted the natural environment of the birth to match the environment of our heart when God is not in our hearts. Because what is our heart and the condition of our heart without Jesus? It's like a barn. It stinks. It's filled with negativity. It's filled with addictions. It's filled with hurts and heartbreaks. It's filled with disappointments and rejection. Our heart without Jesus is filled with a lot of junk. And God wanted the scenario of his birth to preach us a message. 
And that's, that message is this. We don't need our heart to be clean for him to make a home in it. People think that you got to get your life right before you come to Christ. The fact of that is this. If you're going to try and do that, you never come to God. That's why we come to God as we are and as ugly and as stinky and as smelly as you feel like your heart is, God is saying, if you make room for me, I can make a home there. That's the gospel that we're living in, man. It's not about us having a perfect heart. It's us having an available heart. That's all he's looking for. Most people, when you have people come over, the first thing that you do is try to clean up the house, make sure that the house is all in order. And we carry that same mindset into our relationship with God. Oh, God's coming. I better make sure that my life is all in order. And God's saying, I'm not looking for order. I'm looking for openness. I don't have my life all together. Yeah, my life is messed up right now. God is like, just make room. All I need is space. They couldn't find any space for Jesus. And we're living in a world where everybody's pushing Jesus out. And God is just looking for a place for us to open up. And if we have an openness in our heart, he's saying this, I will make a home there. All I need is you to be open. I don't need for you to have it all together. I don't need you to be perfect. In fact, none of us would be perfect. But we're pursuing the perfect one. And when he's in our heart, he brings perfection into us. So faith is not about us being perfect, but putting our faith in the perfect one. And his name is Jesus Christ. So yes, our hearts are messy. And that's why Jesus chose a barn to be the scene for his birth. It matches the environment of our heart. But all God needs is room. So turn to your neighbor and tell him this. Make some room. No one intentionally puts Jesus in the barn, but the barn becomes a reality if we don't have any room for him in our lives. So we just got to do our part and make room for Jesus. Let this Christmas season be less about gifts and more about us opening our heart to the greatest gift of all, and his name is Jesus Christ. Third point is this, unexpected guests. So we got an unexpected journey. An unexpected timing, an unexpected guest. Verse 15 and 16 gives us an insight to guests that showed up on the scene that weren't invited. The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Mary and Joseph just went through a difficult situation, and they had unexpected people show up. You ever had unexpected people show up to your house? And then what the heck? You're in your underwear. It's like, what the heck? You got to go run around, put on clothes and stuff like that. I'm not talking from experience by any means, but I'm just saying. Unexpected guests. Me and my wife, after the miracle of our son, we didn't want everybody to come. We only wanted people that we liked to show up. Come on, somebody. Can we be honest in here? You know what I mean? Everybody wants to say congratulations, but we don't want everybody showing up at our house. We only want the people that we enjoy in our house and uh, uh, to be invited to our heart and into our house. And I can just imagine Mary and Joseph, you know, trying to enjoy a moment, recuperate from all that energy that they just expended and bring in the Savior of the world. And we got these stinky shepherds showing up on the scene saying, can we see the baby? Can we see this Savior that Jesus, uh, that God showed up and told us about, and they're probably thinking, like, who the heck invited you, and how did you know that we were here? So who sent the shepherds? God did. God had a divine purpose for sending the shepherds 
to relationally connect with Mary and Joseph during this difficult time. And here's what I love about this. God does his best work with unexpected people. He does his best work. He took a shepherd boy named David and made him king. So it's funny that the first people that he showed up to after or before the birth of Christ, who got to see Christ firsthand, was shepherds. Because God likes to take people who have seemingly no position and put them in position for divine purpose. So he took people who didn't have no value in society and brought value to them because they were the ones who got first look at the Savior of the world. So for us this holiday season, my encouragement for you is this. Don't be surprised if God sends some unexpected people into your life. Don't close the door on relationships that God might be divinely sending your way to bring some sort of encouragement into your heart or for you to actually encourage their heart. <clears throat> so Mary and Joseph, they had this idea that Jesus was going to be the Savior. God divinely sent some strangers into their life to confirm what was already spoken to them about Jesus. So they maybe had this thought, like, oh, he maybe is the Savior of the world. And after Jesus was born, the shepherds confirmed that this is the Savior of the world. And what became truth for them is because I don't even know you. How did you even find us? The, the, the way that you got into this situation has to be God because we couldn't organize this or orchestrate this on our own. So God might send some unexpected people into our lives for us to be well, like what the shepherds were for Mary and Joseph. For us to bring encouragement or to receive encouragement in a difficult season like the holiday season. So for many, this season is an opportunity for everybody to get connected and so forth. And it's oftentimes a difficult season for people to realize the reality of the dysfunction that they're living in. And so oftentimes, God might send some people your way so that you can encourage them. We call this divine appointments. But too often, our schedules are so filled that when God tries to interrupt, we bypass these moments that he's trying to create for us because we're so busy doing our own life and our own thing. A divine appointment that happened earlier this year for me, it was after one of the messages, a, a lady came up to me and just was encouraging me. And she said, one of these guys that I'm connected to, my daughter and uh, her husband, they really like resonate with your message and your preaching. And I was like, oh, that's cool. You should come meet them. I'm like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll meet them. So after service, you know, like I do every time, we just try to connect with people. And so I get to meet this guy, shake his hand and so forth, got to know him. And so forth, and it was a great first conversation. The next time I saw him, he was coming, and I was like, man, I should ask this guy about small group. And so the next question that came up is like, hey, are you in a group? No, we're not in a group. Hey, let's start a group. That wasn't me wanting to do something. I just said something out loud, and God kind of anointed that. And long story short, we ended up starting a group just out of that. It was me, him, and this other guy, and we started a group, met at my house and so forth. And so long story short, a seemingly random conversation led to a, a relationship that now the result of that is not only just one group, but it's actually two groups because the wives are meeting in the house and the husbands are meeting outside. One divine appointment led to about a total of 12 to 14 people being impacted because of one seemingly ordinary conversation. So what I want to encourage you with is this. You never know what one conversation could do to radically change not only your life, but someone else's life. And uh, we had a time 
talking about, reflecting about what we're thankful for, and everybody in their group was talking about how thankful they are for being in relationship with other people and the small group really being what they needed in their life. It was an unexpected blessing of relationships that was the outcome of one unexpected conversation. So for us, my question to you is this. Can we slow down enough to be interrupted and see that God can take one random conversation and anoint it so that many people's lives can be impacted? If we slow down this holiday season, let me tell you this. God is going to create opportunities for you to minister and do exactly what the shepherds did, bring encouragement to someone's heart. And the outcome of that is they told everybody about what Jesus did. So if you want to know what to talk about, here's my encouragement for you. Just talk about what Jesus has done for you in your life. If God has done enough in your life, you have more than enough to have conversations with people about. So a divine appointment, I'm believing that each and every one of us will have these conversations, a seemingly random interruption where you're trying to buy a gift at Pearl Ridge and you ran into somebody who was irritating, who cut you off, and then you think, I should have a conversation with them, and it turns into them coming to church and the whole family gets saved. And you're like, whoa, how the heck did you do that? I just leaned into a moment, and God used that to create a divine appointment. Here's a side thing that I wanted to kind of mention, and I just put this down. If you're having issues with people this holiday season, or just in general, here's my encouragement to you. When you stop expecting people to be perfect, you can like them for who they really are. I think oftentimes we get frustrated with people because we expect perfection in a specific area of their life, and they're not living up to that, and so we disregard the whole relationship. Maybe if we think that people are imperfect, we can see them through the lens of humanity that I got some imperfections too. Maybe God wants to use me to open up my heart to a relationship that can potentially bring people to Jesus. So unexpected guests, and here's a home stretch. Last point in our notes is this, as we come to a close, unexpected gift. So verse 11 and 12, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This kind of threw my mind when I was doing in, uh, research about this whole significance of swaddling cloths. A Jewish rabbi or Jewish rabbis would say that there's significance to why Luke, who wrote the book, would put that in because the shepherds who came to see Jesus wasn't necessarily ordinary shepherds. They were Levitical shepherds, and their whole purpose was to raise animals who would be used for the sacrifices that were needed to appease the sin that they had in their life to reconnect them back to God. So if you read in the Old Testament, they have all of these sacrifices that we required to have God pardon some of the sins, not permanently but temporarily, so that he can have relationship with the people. So all the Old Testament was them having to kill animals. And the animals needed to be a specific way. The animals needed to be unblemished and without any defect. And so these Levitical shepherds would have the duty of having to raise perfect sheep that will be used in the sacrifices for sin within the land. So how they would do, what they would do to uh, make sure that the lamb or the sheep doesn't get hurt is as soon as the sheep was born, if it was unblemished, they would wrap the sheep 
in cloths to make sure that the sheep doesn't do anything to blemish itself or to hurt itself, which would disqualify it from being used in the sacrifices for sin. So when the shepherds came and saw Jesus wrapped in cloths, placed in a manger, which was an animal feeding trough, just by the environment that it was in and the wrapping that he had, they immediately knew. They made the connection. This is not an ordinary baby. We do this with sheep. This is the perfect sheep, the perfect lamb that will take away the sins of the world. So that's why when they showed up, they saw the swaddling in class, they're like, this is no ordinary baby. This is the perfect baby that we needed to forgive our sins, to reconnect us back to God. And so there's two things that we can learn from this. Is that one, Jesus would eventually become known as the good shepherd. And so he brought shepherds uh, around as symbolism for him to what he would eventually be for you and I. And the second thing is this, that Jesus was the perfect lamb that takes away the sins of the entire world. There's no sin too big or too small that his sacrifice doesn't cover. We needed someone perfect. And no one on the face of the earth could be perfect. And so God became man. He entered into our world, lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died in our place. And because he was a perfect person, he was the perfect sacrifice that could appease God so that God could lavish his love upon you and I. God is a loving God, but he's also a just God. So sin needed to be dealt with. God dealt with sin on his son so that he can fully lavish us with the love that he desperately wants us to experience. It was the beautiful exchange. So this unexpected gift really is what our hearts desperately desired. It allowed us to reconnect back to God. So my encouragement for us is this. A wonderful gift that God might give us in this season might not be in the wrapping that you would think that it would be in. In fact, when it comes to God, his greatest gifts to us in our lives come in wrapping paper that we don't necessarily like. So what are some of these wrapping papers? I'm glad that you asked. It could come in disappointment. His greatest gift could come from heartbreak. It could come from rejection. It could come from you hitting your lowest of low. And here's the reality of everyone. Jesus wants to be known by everyone, but here's the reality. Many people are so busy with life, they don't have any room for him in their hearts. So God in his love needs to intervene and he allows some unexpected things to happen that would open up our hearts to him because if he didn't allow it to happen, our lives would be smooth sailing on a way to hell, spending an eternity separated from God forever, stuck in our sin, dealing with that for all of eternity. So God in his love needs to intervene sometimes in our lives and cause some unexpected things to happen to give us the greatest gift that you and I could ever give or receive, and that's the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The reality of this, of life is this. If your life went smooth, you would not have room in your heart for Jesus. But God loves us too much to leave us that way. 
And sometimes it causes unfortunate things to happen, unexpected things to take place that would open up our hearts to him and we can receive the greatest gift of all. This season, as we're talking about being wrapped in love, my heart for our message is this. This is what I want us to take away. It might be unexpected to you, but it's always been expected by God. God is not surprised by the unexpected things that happen in our lives. He uses it to open our hearts to receive the greatest gift of all, and that's his son, Jesus Christ. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your love. Lord, we pray that this love would be unwrapped tonight and that we would get to experience really what it is to be fully known but yet fully loved. And Lord, I thank you that sometimes our heart matches the barn, but Lord, you're not intimidated by it. You're not scared of it. You're not too clean to be in dirty places. In fact, you make a home there. And I pray that tonight, more than us talking about your love, I pray that we would position our hearts to encounter this love in a real, tangible way. We thank you that you're moving. We thank you that you're working. We trust you in the process. In your beautiful name we pray. Amen and amen. Can we all stand? First thing that I want to do before we go into worship is this. Maybe you're in an unexpected situation right now and you feel like you're at the, the lowest of low. The great thing is that when you're down, the first perspective that we should have is to look up. And God is knocking on the door of some of our hearts here tonight. And maybe you've been around church, maybe you never really got serious. Maybe it's a night for you to really fully commit your heart to Him. Or maybe you've never been to churches. This is your first time here. And God is knocking on the door on your heart. And He's wanting us to be like what Mary and Joseph did. They just needed to make room. And tonight I want to give you an opportunity to make room for Jesus. He's not going to force you to receive Him, but He's going to wait for us to open the door of our life for Him to enter. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, and maybe you've wandered away and tonight is your opportunity to come back, or maybe you've never came into a relationship with God, either or, I want to lead you into a prayer, and it's a prayer to begin a brand new relationship with God, one that's filled with commitment, trusting Him, not only with our words, but with our heart. I want you to repeat this prayer after me as we as a church partner along with you to encourage you in this moment. And so if you're serious about God, God is serious about making a home in your heart. So pray this prayer after me. It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a mess. My heart is corrupt and I'm filled with sin. But I acknowledge you as my Savior. You lived the life I should have lived died the death that I should have died in my place I open up my heart to you and I say come on in make a room in my mess change me from the inside out and do what only you can do give me a brand new heart and a brand new purpose I surrender wholeheartedly to you what you have for me in my life. I choose you today and 
every day. In your name we pray. Amen and amen.